Hey everyone, welcome to episode two of Clinical Psychedelics. I was so completely humbled by the response to episode one. It's taken me a little bit of time to get episode two on the air, but I'm so excited to be here and I'm excited to share more of what I've learned with you. In this episode, I'll discuss the history of entheogens, the term itself and where it comes from, how these compounds have evolved with humans over time, why they're illegal, and why modern understanding of them is so important right now. It's a lot of information in one episode, but it's going to set the stage for everything we'll talk about in future episodes. Let's dive right in. I hope you learned something. About the term itself and where it comes from. Many people will instantly recoil at both the terms psychedelic and spiritual. Yet the use of psychoactive sacraments in religious practices is found throughout the entirety of human history. Spirituality and connection to source is a primal human instinct. You'll hear me say it a lot. Entheogens are the original medicines of Earth. In the mid-20th century, after the discovery of LSD and the intervention of psychedelic therapy, the term entheogen became more of an umbrella term used to include artificial drugs, alternative medical treatment, and spiritual practice, whether or not in a formal religious or traditional structure. Now, we use the term entheogen versus psychedelic to pay homage to this long-established relationship between humans and these natural substances, and to reduce the stigma and change public perception of these compounds and practices. So how have these compounds evolved with humans over time? Naturally occurring entheogens have traditionally been used by indigenous peoples for thousands of years to supplement many diverse practices geared towards achieving transcendence, including divination, meditation, yoga, sensory deprivation, asceticism, prayer, trance, rituals, chanting, hymns like peyote or ayahuasca songs, drumming, and ecstatic dance. There now exist many synthetic drugs with similar psychoactive properties, many derived from plants. Many pure active compounds with psychoactive properties have been isolated from these respective organisms and chemically synthesized. Semi-synthetic, like LSD, and synthetic drugs have also been developed. The use of entheogens in human cultures is nearly ubiquitous throughout recorded history. Psychedelic therapy refers to the therapeutic practices involving the use of psychedelic drugs, particularly psychedelics with an affinity for the serotonin receptors such as LSD, psilocybin, DMT, mescaline, and something known as 2CI, primarily to assist psychotherapy. MAPS, the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, has pursued a number of research studies examining the effects of psychedelics administered to human subjects. These studies include, but are not limited to, studies of ayahuasca, DMT, ibogaine, ketamine, LSA, LSD, MDE, MDMA, mescaline, peyote, psilocybin, salvia, and multidrug studies, as well as cross-cultural and meta-analysis research. While entheogens have been used by individuals to pursue spiritual goals and therapeutic benefits, there are also instances where people have been given entheogens without their knowledge or consent. There have been reports of tourists in ayahuasca retreats experiencing sexual assault 
as well as attempts to use such drugs in other contexts, such as cursing, psychochemical weaponry, psychological torture, brainwashing, and mind control. An example being the CIA experiments with LSD used in Project MKUltra. Maybe we'll have an entire episode on that topic alone because it's very important that everyone is aware of the potential misuse of these substances. Entheogens have historically been used in various ways as part of established religious rituals, as aids for personal spiritual development, as recreational drugs, and for medical and therapeutic use. Naturally occurring entheogens, such as psilocybin and DMT, were for the most part discovered and used by older cultures as part of their spiritual and religious life, as plants and agents that were respected or in some cases revered for generations. Some researchers suggest that substances like psilocybin were used by early humans, promoting the rapid brain growth and the mind expansion that allowed them to innovate and evolve. Entheogens have played a pivotal role in the spiritual practices of most American cultures for millennia. The first American entheogen to be subject to scientific analysis was the peyote cactus. One of the most widely used entheogens in the world is cannabis. Entheogenic use of cannabis has been done in regions such as China, Europe, and India, and in some cases for thousands of years. It has also appeared as part of religions and cultures such as the Rastafari movement, the Sadhus of Hinduism, the Scythians, Sufi Islam, and many others. Notable early testing of the entheogenic experience includes the Marsh Chapel experience, conducted by physician and theology doctoral candidate Walter Ponky, under the supervision of Timothy Leary and the Harvard Psilocybin Project. In this double-blind experiment, volunteer graduate school divinity students from the Boston area almost all claimed to have had profound religious experiences subsequent to the ingestion of pure psilocybin. In 2006, a more rigorously controlled experiment was conducted at John Hopkins University and yielded similar results. To date, there is still little peer-reviewed research on the subject due to ongoing drug prohibition and the difficulty of getting approval from institutional review boards. While this is progressing in a positive direction, scientific studies on entheogens present some significant challenges to investigators, including philosophical questions relating to ontology and objectivity. What substances are considered entheogens? Well, this could be a little subjective. In terms of chemical activity, we know that many of the chemical compounds that we categorize as psychedelic strongly resemble the molecular structure of some of the natural chemicals our bodies already produce. Psilocybin, the naturally occurring compound found in more than 200 species of mushrooms, when ingested is quickly converted by the body into psilocin. Psilocin has a high affinity for the 5-HT2A receptor, where it mimics the effects of serotonin. This receptor is responsible for most of the effects of psilocin, although some studies suggest dopamine may also play a key role. 
This concentrated rush of serotonin is what brings on the psychedelic journey itself. We know that other compounds that produce this effect also work with the 5-HT2A receptors, including THC, a component of the cannabis plant. DMT, the chemical compound in many psychedelic substances such as ayahuasca, is naturally produced by our body's pituitary gland. In spiritual terms, there are many things we can do that cause that surge of serotonin in our bodies, suggesting that there are entheogenic properties to a lot of different substances and rituals. If you're interested in a deeper insight on this topic, I highly recommend the book, Good Chemistry by Dr. Julie Howland, where she talks about the science of connection. The substances generally considered entheogens are, but aren't limited to, ayahuasca, DMT, ibogaine, ketamine, LSD, LSA, MDE, MDMA, mescaline, peyote, psilocybin, and salvia divinorum. I'm sure I'm missing some. We'll discuss a lot of these in the first season of this show. You'll also hear me talk about entheogenic superfoods. So why are entheogens illegal? There was no single moment when all psychedelics became illegal in America. The process took at least four decades to unfold, beginning a year into the Great Depression with the de demonization of marijuana. The blueprint created during that effort helped inform the criminalization of psychedelics, which began with LSD and psilocybin becoming illegal in 1968 under the Staggers-Dodd Bill. To better understand the chronology, we must turn to the creation of the Federal Bureau of Narcotics, FBN, the agency that eventually became the Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA, in 1930. While restrictions on cannabis began in 1860, Harry Anslinger used the FBN as a vehicle to demonize marijuana. Cannabis soon became a social and corporate wedge issue. Shortly after the creation of the Bureau, Anslinger targeted Mexicans and African-American jazz musicians by tightening restrictions on marijuana. On the business side, his agency helped promote an anti-hemp agenda spearheaded by media magnate William Randolph Hearst. This would come to be known as the beginning of the war on drugs. Anslinger's playbook was revived during the Nixon administration. The demonization of psychedelics provided an effective public distraction from the Vietnam War. The Staggers-Dodd Bill criminalized psychedelics, though the law was not heavily enforced. That changed when Congress passed the Comprehensive Drug Abuse Prevention and Control Act of 1970 which forced pharmaceutical companies to keep strict records and maintain the physical security of their drug stocks. A new classification system known as scheduling was introduced. According to this system, Schedule I drugs have a high potential for abuse and offer no therapeutic value. Schedule V drugs are considered the least addictive with the most potential for clinical use. Psychedelics were all labeled Schedule I, despite thousands of clinical studies conducted in the 50s and early 60s that showed the potential efficacy of substances like LSD in the treatment of mental health issues and addiction. 
The Convention on Psychotropic Substances of 1971 is a United Nations treaty designed to control psychoactive drugs such as amphetamine-type stimulants, barbiturates, benzodiazepines, and psychedelics, signed in Vienna, Austria, on the 21st of February, 1971. The Single Convention on Narcotic Drugs of 1961 did not ban the many newly discovered psychotropics, since its scope was limited to drugs with cannabis, coca, and opium-like effects. During the 1960s, such drugs became widely available, and government authorities opposed this for numerous reasons, arguing that along with negative health effects, drug use led to lower moral standards. The convention, which contains important export restrictions and other rules aimed at limiting drug use to scientific and medical purposes, came into force on August 16, 1976. As of 2013, 183 member states are parties to the treaty. Many laws have been passed to implement the convention, including the U.S. Psychotropic Substances Act, the U.K. Misuse of Drugs Act 1971, and the Canadian Controlled Drugs and Substances Act. Adolf Land, under the direction of the United Nations Office of Legal Affairs, prepared the commentary on the Convention on Psychotropic Substances. The commentary, published in 1976, is an invaluable aid to interpreting the treaty and constitutes a key part of its legislative history. Provisions to end the international trafficking of drugs covered by this convention are contained in the United Nations Convention Against Illicit Traffic in Narcotic Drugs and Psychotropic Substances. This treaty, signed in 1988, regulates precursor chemicals to drugs controlled by the single convention and the Convention on Psychotropic Substances. It also strengthens the provisions against money laundering and other drug-related crimes. In 1994, Nixon's assistant to the President for Domestic Affairs and Watergate co-conspirator, John Ehrlichman, admitted the real impetus for the war on drugs. He said, the Nixon campaign in 1968 and the Nixon White House after that had two enemies, the anti-war left and black people. You understand what I'm saying? We knew we couldn't make it illegal to be either against the war or black. But by getting the public to associate the hippies with marijuana and the blacks with heroin, and then criminalizing both heavily, we could disrupt those communities. We could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings, and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did. End quote. So why is modern understanding of psychedelics so important right now? <clears throat> well, this one might be pretty self-explanatory to anyone who's still with me and is interested enough to get this far in the episode. We are at a pivotal time in world history. We are experiencing a global pandemic, witnessing the fall of American democracy, trying to survive late-stage capitalism, and fighting to do anything to slow rapid climate change. These are the things plaguing us in modern times. Every person in the world is facing an awakening right now. 
we desperately need this collective shift of consciousness if we are going to fix some of these issues oppressing the people of planet Earth. It's going to take connection to ourselves, to our source, to our planet, to every living being on it, to our communities, and to the cosmos to create lasting change. Many of us in the clinical psychedelic space believe that through these powerful substances, we can create an environment for further human evolution through mind expansion. We have to begin to heal. We have to push for the kinds of policy change that will allow us to bring this work to the people. A renaissance is here. It's hard to see right now, but we are all so lucky to be alive in a time where we have the opportunity for rebirth after destruction. It's up to us now to be the change that we want to see. Thank you so much for opening your mind and listening. If you're an advocate for psychedelics, a practitioner of psychedelic assisted therapies, a medical professional seeking knowledge, or a patient seeking treatment, please reach out to us. We'd love to connect with you. The best form of contact is email, allianceforthecure at gmail.com. As always, you can find us on Instagram, both at Alliance for the Cure and at Clinical Psychedelics Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at Alliance for the Cure, Twitter at Alliance the Number Four Cure, and at allianceforthecure.org. If you visit our website, be sure to sign up for our newsletter. We are looking forward to the future, and we hope that you'll join us next time.